My name is Leonidas, and this is Informed Descent. What is up, guys? Welcome to episode 37 of Informed Descent, the podcast where we push back on the culture of groupthink and challenge the narrative. I hope you're doing well. Things have been pretty crazy for me with the book release lately and been doing a lot of interviews and whatnot. I've been blessed to sit down with some amazing people like Dinesh D'Souza, Michelle Tafoya, Alex Clark with Turning Point, the folks at Babylon B. It's, it's been a bit of a, of, a, of a whirlwind, but in a good way. And the book Raising Victims has been the number one new release in the church and state category. So that's pretty cool as well. So thank you to those of you who have bought the book already. I very much appreciate you. If you haven't picked it up yet, you can get it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, pretty much anywhere you get books. All right, so that's my shameless plug for the week. (laughs) So anyway, this week, the theme is anti-capitalism, which really is just a slightly more sanitized way of saying Marxism. Marx was the OG anti-capitalist. So today we're going to talk about the claim that capitalism creates poverty. <laughs> that's, that's hard to even say with a straight face. The reason people are in poverty is because of capitalism, guys. Before capitalism, there was never any poverty, okay? Everything was perfect. Rainbows and Care Bears, butterflies, unicorns. Poverty just didn't exist. <laughs> I, I also want to talk about slavery and reparations. I know, I know. I we talk about slavery a lot. But the impetus for this one is that proud family clip which I don't know if you guys saw that or not, but there's a clip from this Disney cartoon that promotes the claim that this country was built by slaves and therefore the descendants of slaves are owed reparations. And this is a cartoon for children presumably. So, I want to talk about that as well as California introducing measures to pay its black residents reparations. It's a thing. The madness is never ending. And it fits in with our anti-capitalist theme because capitalism is supposedly at the root of their complaints. Ibram X. Kendi once said that racism and capitalism are conjoined twins. Why would anyone ever think these people are Marxists? It's inexplicable. Our psychological concept of the week is hostile attribution bias. So we'll talk about what that is and why it's important to our cultural conversations. And finally, we'll take a break from politics or try to at least in a new pop culture segment, which I have now decided to call This is Sparta. And this week, we'll talk a little bit about the new Harry Potter game, Hogwarts Legacy. And you know, man, I, I would love to talk about the UFOs being shot down and the apparently impending alien invasion, but I honestly have no idea what's going on. And it would just be a waste of time because I have no clue what's happening. But I will say that I, for one, welcome our new alien overlords. Can't be any worse than Biden, right? But all right, let's get into it. Narrative number one, capitalism creates poverty. Last week, Nina Turner, who is a former state senator here in my home state of Ohio, and who was known for her work on Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign, tweeted, 
I believe we can abolish poverty. The Oklahoma Libertarian Party responded to her tweet saying that only capitalism can abolish poverty, to which Nina then replied, capitalism created the poverty we now see. (laughs) Man, where, where do you even start? Well, I guess if capitalism truly creates poverty, then we could compare more capitalist countries with less capitalist countries and see who's doing better, right? If capitalism creates poverty, then surely less capitalist countries are superior and we should see less relative poverty, yes? The less capitalism, the better, I say. Well, according to humanprogress.org, the average income in what would be deemed the most capitalist countries is six times higher than the least capitalist countries. Wait, that that can't be right. Well, wait, here's the kicker. The bottom 10%, the poorest in society, in the most capitalist countries, make seven times more than the bottom 10% in the least capitalist countries. How can this be? Before I go any further, I I, want to make sure I point out something. Listen. This animosity toward capitalism is becoming a very common sentiment on the left. Like I mentioned, anti-capitalism is basically it's basically synonymous with Marxism. And it's trendy now, and it's considered to be a virtue. And when you consider the rest of the ideology that these people are embracing, including things like critical race theory, radical gender theory, queer theory, etc., And the fact that these are all firmly rooted in a foundation of Marxism and you add in these anti-capitalist musings, it should make it extremely clear what these people are trying to do. They're trying to institute a cultural revolution, a Marxist cultural revolution. They hate our country. How could they not? How, How could you possibly love a country if you despise its foundational principles, its ideals, its history, its traditions, its culture? And its economic system. What exactly do you love about America then? What is there left to love? The spacious skies? The amber waves of grain? I mean, let's be real. At this point, they probably hate those too. I mean, goodness, I'm I'm not sure our foreign enemies even hate America as much as these people do. Now, whether Nina is a true disciple of the religion or just a useful pawn spouting off about things she doesn't really understand, I'm not so sure. It is, again, that line between malevolence and incompetence. It's really difficult to tell sometimes. But I I find it hard to believe that she doesn't understand. So I lean more towards the malevolence. But look, capitalism has vastly improved the standard of living of people all over the world and nearly eliminated abject poverty. What economic system even comes close Where is this non-capitalist utopia where poverty has ceased to exist? Wakanda? Was there no poverty in monarchies? Was there no poverty in feudalism? What about communism? 30 million people in China died of starvation, at least during Mao's great leap forward. Just supposed to forget about that in his quest for an anti-capitalist communist paradise? Just pretend it didn't happen? Only thing we need to know is how it was truly evil capitalism that killed all those people. How dare you, capitalist? How dare you? 
Should be noted that Mao and his Red Guard intentionally sought out and punished capitalist sympathizers during the Chinese Cultural Revolution. And when it was all said and done, Mao was responsible for the deaths of more people than both Hitler and Stalin combined. But nah, everything was fine. Paradise. Practically the Garden of Eden. Capitalism is the real evil. It's just incredible, really. I, people reap the tremendous benefits of capitalism and then turn around and spit on it. It's just unreal. And, you know, maybe some of it comes from a misunderstanding of human nature and in, an insistence that perfect be the enemy of good, right? If there are any flaws at all or anything negative, then the whole thing must be torn down. Never recognizing that nothing is ever going to be perfect, ever. But they believe that if they could only exert their own morals and values onto the system, which ultimately means using government force to coerce people to behave in ways that they think those people should behave, then everything will be perfect. But it never works for a number of reasons. One reason is because market forces are far too complex and convoluted for any person or group of people to control effectively, especially in a country with 330 million people. You have to be extremely delusional and narcissistic to believe that you can somehow know what all 330 million people want and need at any given moment and be able to manipulate that. And it's dynamic as well. So those 330 million lists of wants and needs are constantly changing and creating complex networks of market signals as they all interact with each other, which in a free market system is what determines where resources are allocated. And it does it automatically without any central authority deciding when and where and how much of a particular resource needs to be allocated. How are you going to do that? without sitting down and asking every single individual what they want every second of the day. You can't do it. You would have to do a one-size-fits-all measure, which would inevitably leave out large swaths of the population. That's why the Soviet Union would end up with a factory full of buttons and a shortage of coats. You can't do it. That's not even mentioning the fact that you would lose entrepreneurial incentives and a general incentive to produce. You'd have to force people at the barrel of a gun to provide your resources, which you then would not be able to efficiently allocate. Mao tried to do it. He caused a famine and millions of people starved to death. Listen, I, I do understand some of the criticism. You look at huge corporations, you look at big tech, you look at big pharma, and yes, they do some really shady stuff. So yeah, like I said, it's, it's not perfect. There are problems to address. But what most people complain about when this, when this subject comes up is cronyism, not free market capitalism. They're complaining about these massive corporations joining in an unholy marriage with the federal government and using their lobbying power to buy politicians. It's bad news and it shouldn't happen. I agree. But how sensible is it to see a problem like that a problem that is directly caused by the federal government and the fact that it has too much power and control over the market, which is why these companies buy politicians in the first place, 
and conclude that the way to fix the problem is to substantially expand the power of the federal government. How does that make sense? The solution is to get the government out of the market as much as possible. Make it operate as a referee and not a player, as Milton Friedman put it. If the government doesn't have the power to manipulate the market, companies have no incentive to buy politicians to try to manipulate the market. Common sense. And this increases market competition, which drives down prices and drives up quality and increases innovation. We need less government, not more. You know, the people who criticize capitalism are always hyper-focused on the Amazons and the Walmarts or, or something like that. But they ignore the entrepreneur pouring in 80 hours a week to get his startup off the ground. The mom and pop shops, the local restaurants, the people who start businesses and aim to make life better for their communities and the people around them. That's capitalism. The great Walter Williams once said that capitalism is a system that requires that you serve your fellow man in order to have a claim on what he produces. Our currency is evidence that we have served our fellow man in some manner, and we exchange that for things that we want and need. It incentivizes us to seek out ways to help our neighbors and improve their lives so that our own lives can also be improved. It is a positive sum game. That means we all benefit. There is no other system that comes close to being as moral or as effective. Poverty is a tragic fact of life. It has existed all throughout human history and will continue to exist whether capitalism exists or not. We can never eradicate it completely. But capitalism absolutely gives us our best shot. Narrative number two, slaves built this country and now black people are owed reparations. This country was built on slavery, which means slaves built this country. Tilled this land from sea to sea to sea. First it was rice, tobacco, sugar cane. Then Whitney did his thing and cotton became king. And we were its soldiers. Four million strong. Fighting for America's freedoms, even though we remained America's slaves. slaves. Built this country. The descendants of slaves continue to build this. Slaves built this country. And we, the descendants of slaves in America, have earned reparations for their suffering. And continue to earn reparations every moment we spend submerged in the systemic prejudice, racism, and white supremacy that America was founded with and still has not atoned for. Slaves built this country. Not only field hands, but carpenters, masons, blacksmiths, musicians, inventors built cities from Jamestown to New Orleans to Bannekin, Washington. 40 acres and a mule. We'll take the 40 acres, keep the mule. We, we made, made your families rich. From the southern plantation heirs to the northern bankers to the New England ship owners, the founding the New World Order. Slaves built this country. We had Tubman, Turner, Frederick D. Then they say Lincoln freed the slaves. But slaves were men. And women. And only we can free ourselves. Emancipation is not freedom. Jim Crow, segregation, redlining, public schools, feeding private prisons, where we become slaves again. As we celebrate Juneteenth for the umpteenth time, our account is still outstanding. Because this country was built on slavery, which means slaves built this country. And we demand our 40 acres and
That was a clip from a Disney show called The Proud Family, Louder and Prouder, that had spread around social media last week. And it's just outrageous. I mean, this is a children's cartoon. And what are they doing? We've earned reparations. America was founded on a system of white supremacy and oppression and still has not atoned for it. Emancipation is not freedom. Okay. We made your families rich. Who are you even talking about? That one always makes me laugh because it, it, it makes it sound like all white people are Scrooge McDuck swimming around in their Olympic pool of gold coins while all black people lie around in filth and squalor drinking spilled wine off the streets. And if you get both of those references, we are now best friends. <laughs> but what are they actually doing here? What is the expected result of this? What is it that they want the children who watch this show to fill? I'm guessing, and this is just a wild guess, that they want them to feel anger, resentment, vengefulness, a sense of victimhood, or a sense of collective guilt if they're white, a sense of vengeance and retribution, right? It would have to be that, right? I, I mean, after this ridiculous performance, the whole auditorium erupts in applause, suggesting to whoever is watching that what just happened was good and inspirational and powerful. Victimhood is virtue. That's the message. Victimhood is virtue. Wilfred Riley had a great thread on Twitter about the idea that slaves built America. He said, it's worth noting the obvious. To truly believe that slaves built this country, you would have to believe that about 10% of the population of the USA concentrated in the poorest region of the country only until 1865 was wholly responsible for American national development. Pre-1865, the sale of raw southern agricultural products did help grow America, but so did northern industry, including sale of finished textiles made from cotton, homesteading billions of acres of new land, immigration, the railroads, fishing, whaling, beavering, etc. As with so many other CRT and 1619-style claims, it's worth noting that no one would object to a sentence like slavery was responsible for 20% of GDP 200 years ago. The backlash is to wild commie hyperbole, but is just invariably spun as fearing real truth. Solid. Now, I don't know about 20% of GDP, but no one would object to the notion that slavery was an important part of the economy in the South. I mean, that's obvious. Most people recognize that. But turning American slavery into a sort of Greek mythology is the problem here. And then, not only that, but using it as a source from which to promote anger, resentment, and grievance. Instead of embracing the actual historical reality, we have to endure fantastical tales of how the gods of Black Olympus went to battle against the titans of white supremacy. And then everyone has to be angry at each other and at each other's throats because of it. It's madness. The clip also has images propagating straight up lies, like the hands up, don't shoot lie that people continue to push. They, the, the whole idea that Michael Brown in, in Ferguson had his hands up, which is, was found to be false. And this, so it's outrageous. It's, it's propaganda. And it gives insight into the motivations of race hustling charlatans. It's all about manipulation. They distribute propaganda like this, which is meant to distort reality and take hold of people's emotions, making them controllable, 
make people angry, make them resentful, make them hate, show them images that generate a visceral reaction. It doesn't matter that the images are fabricated or chosen to suggest a particular narrative. What matters is that people respond to it and respond to it strongly. That's how you control them. I think about 1984 and the two minutes of hate where everyone had to watch that two-minute film every day that depicted their supposed enemies. The protagonist, Winston, says the horrible thing about the two-minute hate was not that one was obliged to act a part, but on the contrary, that it was impossible to avoid joining in. Within 30 seconds, any pretense was always unnecessary. A hideous ecstasy of fear and vindictiveness. A desire to kill, to torture, to smash faces in with a sledgehammer seemed to flow through the whole group of people like an electric current, turning one even against one's will into a grimacing, screaming lunatic. And yet the rage that one felt was an abstract, undirected emotion which could be switched from one object to another like the flame of a blow lamp. That's what these images and lyrics are supposed to do. They're supposed to drive a hideous ecstasy of fear and vindictiveness. And they're doing that to children. It's despicable, man. And this whole idea of reparations, it's just beyond absurd. It blows my mind, the sense of entitlement. Like, Like the world owes you something just because you exist? Are you kidding me? And what's really despicable is trying to profit off of someone else's suffering. That's disgusting behavior. That's exactly what it is. You weren't a slave. You didn't go through any of that. How dare you try to profit off of it? Yeah, I liken it to stolen valor. You're attempting to receive some sort of personal gain based off what someone else endured. You dress yourself up to make it seem like you too had to go through what they went through in order to get attention, sympathy, special privileges, financial gain, whatever it may be. You want to profit off of someone else's suffering. It's stolen valor, stolen victimization, stolen oppression. Let me tell you something. If you're, if you're one of these people who think this way, you were never a slave. You have never experienced oppression. You don't have any clue what it means to be oppressed. No clue whatsoever. It's incredible that anyone could have the gall to say that because something terrible happened to someone else who happens to share their skin color, then that means that they're owed something. That is absolute madness. San Francisco has an African-American reparations advisory committee. It's incredible that something like that even exists. But this committee has proposed, quote, providing a one-time payment of $5 million to eligible recipients as well as directing funding to target community issues concerning housing, education disparities, and the racial wealth gap, end quote. Tanish Hollins, the vice chair of the San Francisco Human Rights Commission, said this really is about payment and redress for unpaid labor, for restrictive covenants, and for legislation that was particularly targeted against the black community and created a system of harm for the black community. What? It's stolen valor. Yeah, many people have rightly pointed out that California wasn't even a slave state. (laughs) But don't let that stop the woke from pursuing this insanity. 
$5 million to eligible recipients. Did you catch that? That's a key phrase, eligible recipients. Because my question is, who are you talking about? How do you know who's eligible? Are you going to do skin tone tests? Are we going to do genetic testing and go back to the one drop rule? Do you need just one slave in your family tree to be eligible? Do white people who have slaves in their family trees get $5 million? Do black people who have slave owners in their family trees have to pay? What do we do about all the black slave owners who existed? Do their descendants still get reparations? It makes no sense. See, this is why it's so stupid to try to propagate ideas of collective guilt and collective victimhood and then try to craft policy around them. It's ridiculous. You cannot punish people for something they didn't do. And you cannot provide restitution to someone for something they didn't experience. It makes no sense. You can't do it. Also, an estimated 360,000 Union soldiers died during the Civil War. So I say, whatever debt there may have been, has been repaid several times over. I'm so sick of this stuff, man. Sick of race. I'm sick of talking about race. One day we'll move past it. I'm hopeful. That Pride Family cartoon was right about one thing, though. They claimed to still be slaves and said, only we can free ourselves. If you worship race and racial victimhood like that, you are absolutely a slave. But you are the one who is enslaving yourself. You're a slave to your own ideology. And yes, absolutely, 100%, unequivocally, only you can free yourself. Psychological term of the week, hostile attribution bias. If you've listened to my show before, you've heard me talk about this. But since we started this segment, I think it's a good time to bring it back up and reiterate what it is and why it's relevant. The hostile attribution bias is defined as a tendency to view others' behavior as being hostile, even though the behavior is ambiguous or benign. For example, if people are whispering near you, you'll think that they're whispering unflattering things about you, even though there's no reason to believe that or any evidence whatsoever. If someone laughs near you, you, you believe they're laughing at you, etc. You attribute hostile intent to the behavior even though there's no reason to do it. No reason to think it's hostile. And you do that all the time. It's not a one-off. It's not an occasional misunderstanding. It's how you see the world. You're constantly interpreting others' behavior as being hostile toward you. It should be fairly easy to see how this concept applies to our current political and cultural landscape. Because this kind of behavior is seen as a virtue. It's treated as if it's a moral good. Reading hostile intentions in others' behaviors for no real reason. It's the mark of the perpetually offended. The people who are constantly seeking out reasons to be outraged and to wave the flag of victimhood. Cancel culture is largely driven by this dysfunctional way of thinking. That's why you have a quarterback singing along with a rap song and says the N-word in the context of the song and he loses his scholarship to the University of Florida and gets written off as a racist. That's a real story. That actually happened. Lost his scholarship. It's insane. Critical race theory, the gender madness, LGBT activism, uh, anti-capitalism, socialism, communism, 
All of it promotes hostile attribution bias. All of it promotes the belief that others are secretly engaging in some kind of conspiratorial behavior against you, harboring some kind of secret hate, and that you are the poor, oppressed victim as a result. And research has shown that these kinds of disordered thought processes are associated with higher levels of physical and relational aggression in children, as well as poor outcomes for adults, including shorter lifespans and significant relationship problems. Yeah, no kidding. But yet, it's still considered virtuous to see the world this way. Children are being taught to view the world this way. And it's bad enough for adults to do it, but to pass the dysfunction on to children creates a toxic feedback loop and a generational curse. Why would we ever want to do that? Why would we ever want to encourage adults to pass on their own brokenness, prejudices, anger, resentment, vengefulness, guilt, paranoia, and victimhood to children? Innocent children are being handed this cup of poison by their parents or other adults in their life. They drink from it and then pass that cup on to others so that they too can drink. It's a generational curse. It is the fall of man. It is Eve sharing the apple with Adam after having eaten from it herself, believing the manipulative tales whispered by the conniving serpent, convinced that embracing this curse will somehow bring about wisdom and enlightenment. Ye shall not surely die. It is and always has been a lie. All right. So this week, I just wanted to talk briefly about this new Harry Potter game, which is called Hogwarts Legacy. The website says it is an immersive open world action RPG set in the world first introduced in the Harry Potter books. For the first time, experience Hogwarts in the 1800s. Your character is a student who holds the key to an ancient secret that threatens to tear the wizarding world apart. Now you can take control of the action and be at the center of your own adventure in the wizarding world. Your legacy is what you make of it. So I guess, I guess, so I guess it takes place 100 years before the events of Harry Potter, and it's an open world game where you create a character and you can explore Hogwarts, take classes, and presumably explore the wizarding world says you can freely roam Hogwarts, Hogsmeade, the Forbidden Forest, and the surrounding Overland area. You get sorted into your house, of course, and you can learn spells, brew potions, grow plants, and tend to magical beasts along your journey. Battle against trolls, dark wizards, goblins, and, as, and more as you face a dangerous villain threatening the fate of the wizarding world. <laughs> I mean, it's awesome. It sounds awesome. And I'm sure some of you have already played it. So yeah, uh, let me know how it is, because I haven't played it yet. But to Harry Potter fanatics, this sounds ridiculously just just excellent. Hey, finally, you get to be the wizard like you always wanted to be. Look, I'm a, I'm a millennial, okay? So I'm a big Harry Potter fan. Judge me all you want. I fit the stereotype. The first book was published in 1997, I believe, and I would have been 13 at that point, and I was all about it, all about Harry Potter. But, and I've read the books multiple times. I've watched the movies several times. 
I was I was actually very close to naming my indoor soccer team that I coached this year Gryffindor and making our colors scarlet and gold. But I decided not to do it at the last minute. So see, I have restraint. I have restraint. The Harry Potter, I'm all about it. I love it. And I'm excited about this game. Like I said, I haven't had a chance to play it yet. I'm not one of those people who went out and bought a PS5. I'm still on the old school PS4. Oh, I know. Lame. So, but I guess I have to wait until April before the PS4 version comes out, which, you know, is fine, honestly, because it's not like I have a ton of time to play right now anyway, but, but still, uh, let me know how it is. If you played it, yeah, send me a message, send me an email, Leonidas at leonidasjohnson.com. Shoot me a message. Let me know. Let me know what you think. But I, I do want to mention really quickly also, and I know the segment is supposed to be apolitical, but there is quite a bit of controversy around this game and not because of the game itself but because of the creator of harry potter jk rowling and the fact that she's been labeled a heretic and a blasphemer by the church of wokeism for making the sinful claim that men are not and cannot ever be biological women which is obviously true and should not be controversial it's a factual statement but here we are hostile attribution bias Right. Anyway, these unhinged people have now taken to social media to share spoilers of the game and try to ruin it for everybody in protest against rallying, which is nuts. Why, why do you have to be this way? Thankfully, I've avoided the spoilers for the most part, but I, I've seen people complaining about them. And when I notice a comment that starts weirdly with in the game or in Hogwarts legacy, I, I just don't read it. I, I mean, these people, man, I, don't be that person. What's wrong with you? Are you that miserable of a person that you're so desperate to make everyone else just as miserable as you are? I mean, come on. It's outrageous. But anyway, the game has been wildly successful regardless and is breaking all kinds of records. Like on Twitch, it was named the number one single player game ever on the site with, with, with like 1.28 million concurrent viewers at its launch, which is insane. And it looks like the reviews are great as well. People are loving the game. I do wonder, though, with the advent of AI coupled with virtual reality technology, I, I wonder what a game like this would be like. And we're not far off from that, right? Completely immersive experience. And from what I've seen from the Unreal Engine, there will be a point in the future where game graphics will be so extremely realistic, you won't be able to tell that it's not real particularly environmental renderings, which, I mean, it's crazy. And to immerse yourself into an environment like that in virtual reality would be quite an experience, to say the least, whether it's you know, Harry Potter or whatever. Although it's a little scary too, right? I mean, I think about the metaverse nonsense and that sort of thing and a future where people literally don't go outside anymore and do everything through virtual reality, which would be crazy. That may be a little far-fetched, but I mean, you can see the negative implications of things like that, right? I mean, in the future, we're all just going to be sitting in some chair somewhere and plugged into the Matrix playing Hogwarts Legacy, <laughs> living out our childhood dreams of being a wizard in Gryffindor or something. Which, by the way, if you're not in Gryffindor, we can't be friends. So, sorry. All right, guys, I appreciate you tuning into the show. Let me know if there are any topics you'd like me to tackle in a future podcast. Always open to suggestions. Just shoot me an email at leonidas at leonidasjohnson.com. 
And make sure you pick up a copy of the new book, Raising Victims, The Pernicious Rise of Critical Race Theory, which is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, anywhere you get books. I really appreciate you. Until next time, thanks for listening. I'm Leonidas, and this has been Informed Dissent. If you would like to support the show, you could do so through donorbox.org slash Leonidas. That's D-O-N-O-R-B-O-X dot org slash Leonidas. I really appreciate that. Make sure you follow me on social media at Leonidas Johnson and check out my website at leonidasjohnson.com. And I have a substack now, which is just leonidas.substack.com. And as always, remember to do your own research, challenge everything, and don't be afraid to stand up for what you believe. We'll see you next time. God bless. God bless.